Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Monday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, a new report reveals Georgia's Latino electorate increased nearly 58% since 2016. We'll examine what's behind the growth and also what to do with the old Atlanta prison farm. It's become a contentious community issue. We plan to speak with various groups and other entities, each with their own viewpoint. That and much more coming up in just a moment. But first this, Tropical Storm Claudette proved deadly in Alabama over the weekend. Now the storm pelted much of northern Alabama and Georgia, causing flash flooding and some tornadoes along the Gulf. In Alabama, 10 fatalities, including nine children from an Atlanta youth ranch, were killed in a multiple vehicle fiery crash Saturday. The scene was described as horrific. Officials say the car is more than likely hydroplane on the wet roads. As of early today, Claudette returned to tropical storm strength as it nears the coast of the Carolinas. In other news, some advocates are increasing pressure on Republican states like Georgia to expand Medicaid and simply cover more people. That's after the U.S. Supreme Court upheld the Affordable Care Act last week. Now, currently there are about 240,000 Georgians well, they say earn too much for regular Medicaid and too little to qualify for Obamacare subsidies. They would be covered by Medicaid expansion and the federal government picks up the cost. But Georgia is one of a dozen Republican controlled states still holding out. Unless state lawmakers vote on expanding Medicaid, it is likely an issue that will dominate the 2022 governor's race. Advocates say expansion would benefit struggling rural hospitals as they would as fewer as they would fewer unsure people and finally is Gallinari down it goes a Philadelphia turnover the lead is five and a quick foul on Young Atlanta your Hawks are headed back to the Eastern Conference Finals for the first time in six years that is correct. The Atlanta Hawks beat the Philadelphia 76ers on the road last night and will now take on the Milwaukee Bucks for the NBA Eastern Conference Championship. Get this. This is just the second time in 50 years of the franchise the Hawks will play for an opportunity to advance to the NBA Finals. Game one is Wednesday night in Milwaukee. And if you can get a ticket, the first home game for the Hawks at State Farm Arena is this coming Sunday. And the arena will be at full capacity for the championship series just for fun, I did check to see what the courtside seats were. Not that I could afford it, but hey, you never know. I found two seats for $4,500. In other words, I'll be at home. This is Closer Look. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. 
I'm Rose Scott. The 2020 presidential election included a number of historic firsts. A record number of early voting ballots were cast, and that was due to the pandemic. Also this, over half of eligible Latinos voted in 2020. Now, some reports reveal nearly 18 million Latinos voted in the presidential election. UCLA's Latino Policy and Politics Initiative estimates 16.6 million Latino voters cast a ballot in the election. And that represents about a 31 percent increase. And that's nearly double the nationwide 15.9 growth in ballots cast between 2016 and 2020. Here in Georgia, another reporting indicates the Latino elector grew by more than 140,000 new voters since the 2016 report that came out. That represents about 58% growth. Well, joining me now is Jerry Gonzalez, longtime CEO of the Georgia Association of Latino Elected Officials, also known as Galeo, the organization partner with another with other organizations for the report. Jerry Gonzalez, welcome back to the program. I really appreciate it. No problem, Rose. Always a pleasure to be with you. Hey, listen, let's begin with the focus on some of uh, those nationwide numbers I talked about, because it was estimated that prior to 2020, the percent of Latinos eligible to vote and who actually voted had never surpassed 50 percent. That changed last November, Jerry. Your thoughts on that? Yes, it was a record-breaking year for Latino voter participation nationwide and even in the state of Georgia. So, uh, there was a lot, I think, that was going on, particularly for the Latino community. Um, I think the pandemic response by the previous administration had a lot to do with it, uh, and Latinos were disproportionately impacted by the pandemic, both from a healthcare perspective as well as from an economic perspective, and uh, clearly being under attack with anti-immigrant rhetoric coming from the White House as was happening, was also uh, grabbing the attention of many Latinos across the country. Something else that we should point out that according to some researchers from CUNY, they also say, look, understand this, that there was an increase in registration and voting by younger Latinos, younger Latinos between the ages of 18 to 44. And also registration and voting was up by U.S. born Latinos as well. Absolutely. We saw that uh, similar trend here in Georgia where young uh, young Latinos uh, were registering to vote in record numbers and, and participating in higher numbers as well. And and uh, overall, I mean, there was an increase in uh, voter participation and voter registration, uh, both here in Georgia and nationally. So uh, significant records were broken with regards to that. And speaking of Georgia, uh, the Latino electorate now has just over 385,000 registered voters. Now, Jerry, that only represents about 4.1 percent of Georgia's total voters. I know that organizations like you, y'all's, you want to see that number increase. How do you plan to do that? Well, uh, they may represent uh, 4.1 percent of the electorate in Georgia, but we saw the margins in Georgia really tight uh, with regards to the outcome of uh, both the presidential race as well as the U.S. Senate races. So Mm -hmm. uh, in a competitive uh, statewide race, the Latino electorate uh, can and will continue to make a difference uh, with significant impact. Primarily, if you look at uh, two of the top counties that we have, Gwinnett County and Cobb County, uh, certainly the numbers uh, dictate that Latino communities had huge impact in, in those two counties. I'm glad that you mentioned Gwinnett County because looking at the latest data that you all collected as it relates to those top 10 counties of Latino registered voters, going back to 2008, Gwinnett County is far outpacing other counties with more than 70,000 registered voters. In 2008, Jerry, it was just under 25,000. 
That's correct. Uh, Gwinnett County is certainly outpacing uh, other other states, and the, the, I think the core of the Latino electorate is in Gwinnett County, but Cobb County is not far behind either. Uh, so there is a, a tremendous amount of growth that has happened in Gwinnett County, but we're seeing tremendous amount of growth also in, in unforeseen places that you wouldn't think of, like in Forsyth and Chatham County, uh, Cherokee County and Clayton County. All of those are, are experiencing tremendous growth. Uh, and the top 10 counties of Latino registered voters uh, make up more than uh, 50% of the overall Latino electorate. So uh, there is a lot to say about the Latino electorate and its growth in Georgia. I want to dig a little deeper, Jerry, into the demographic because the majority of the Georgia Latino electorate is under the age of 40. What does that say to you about in terms of who's voting and also who's not voting? Absolutely. I think what it says is that the Latino electorate is not is not only having an impact today, but will continue to have a significant impact as it continues to grow in into the future election cycles as well. And and that's that's indicative given the age, the average age of a Latino voter is a millennial. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's going to continue to have a significant impact. And as the voter participation rates increase of uh, the, those under age of 40 and younger, uh, you're going to see a tremendous amount of impact uh, of the Latino electorate. So in Georgia, the Latino electorate has outperformed the national Latino voter participation rate mm-hmm. by several cycles already. And this year, uh, certainly we saw a significant increase in, in, in voter participation, about 60 percent increase uh, in register in actual people casting ballots. So uh, it is uh, it is an impactful electorate, and uh, people need to be paying attention to it. Well, there's something else, Jerry, because most of the electorate is female, and Latinas outpace their male counterparts in voter participation. You feel there's some initiatives there that you all, that groups like yours, could partner with other voter registration groups or any voter registration group, for that matter, to to bring the male vote, Latino vote up as well, voter participation, rather. Yes, uh, we, we did see a significant impact of uh, female uh, voters, and, and Latinas always are leading in our community, always are leading the way in our community. And, and I think men started, Latino men started catching up in, in 2020. We saw a significant impact of Hispanic men uh, from the 2016 election to the 2020 election. Uh, so that, that was a, a 26% increase, but it's from Latinas, uh, Latinas grew 98% increase in, in growth of uh, female Hispanics registered to vote in 2020. So um, certainly a lot of growth happening with the Latina community, and certainly Latinas can help us make bring along Latinos to be part of our democracy. Something else that this report summarizes with the Latino electorate is, quote, became more politically and civically aware. So what does this report, in terms of numbers, reveal to you about the Latino voter in 2022 and their impact? Well, I think that the Latino uh, electorate is going to continue to have an impact both for 2022 and 2024, and it's only going to continue to grow in its size and influence. I think that uh, political parties need to be paying attention to the Latino electorate. It can't be ignored any Mm -hmm. further. Uh, it's going to continue to grow in its, its size and influence and certainly is going to be able to dictate the outcome of competitive statewide races, both in 2022 and 2024, because Georgia is now considered a battleground state. Mm-hmm. You mentioned battleground. Some people say blue. Some people say red. Some people say purple or purple. How are you defining Georgia right now? 
Well, I think it is a, it is a battleground state. Uh, I think uh, it depends on participation and certainly uh, part of uh, what we've seen in the reaction of what happened in, in the, out of the outcome of the November elections, we see these voter suppression tactics. So uh, with the new law, the, the Jim Crow 2.0 law that was passed in Georgia, SB 202, uh, this is a way to, to try to suppress uh, minority communities' ability to vote. So that being said, I mean, even, even those in, in power are afraid of the growing uh, electorate, uh, the growing demographics of the electorate in Georgia. So that, that's something that's significant. That's something that's going to continue to happen. And, and we're going to make sure that we can work to educate and inform our community about the power that they have and make sure that they show up to vote. Latinos are projected to make up just about 27.5 percent of the American population by 2060. And that's some time away. But what is your hope, Jerry, in terms of more Latino representation from federal to local before we get to that 2060? What is your hope that you have more Latinos re- represented, whether it's in Congress or here in, in state and in local races? Well, uh, representation has increased dramatically in Georgia, I think. And uh, certainly there's over 3,000 local county and legislative races that that. Uh, our elected officials that we have in the state, we're going to see greater representation of Latinos as well. We're going to push for uh, increased power for communities during the redistricting session to ensure that communities, the redistricting process is centered around communities rather than on politicians. Uh, If we do that, we, we will see greater representation of communities of color across the state. And Jerry, with your organization, with the Georgia Association of Latino Elected Officials, you all are constantly out there trying to engage and get more folks. You mentioned Latino millennials being such an important part of Georgia's electorate. What can you all do to help get folks, not just in terms of voter participation, but at least becoming aware about how, if they have an interest in running for an office? Well, we do We do have a year-long leadership program that we have uh, with our community to make sure that people have the right leadership skills uh, if they're wanting to engage with our communities uh, further as well. So that's a, that's a big step that we've taken for many, many years. Uh, but we're also going to be working from our C4 perspective to encourage people to run for office and, to, and, and help support uh, viable candidates to, to run for office and win. Uh, we want to encourage Latinas and Latinos that are listening to reach out to us to make sure that uh, there are lots of local elections happening uh, this cycle. Mm-hmm. And this year, and uh, some local elections are won by tens of votes. Not hundreds of votes, but tens of votes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we need to, to make sure that we have competitive races all across, uh, up and down the, the ballot uh, this year, as well as next year. Jerry Gonzalez, CEO of the Georgia Association of Latino Elected Officials, and we've been discussing the state's growing Latino electorate. We'll have a link to the report for those that want to read it. Good conversation, Jerry, as always. I appreciate you taking the time. I really do. Always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much, Rose. Take care, Jerry. Bye-bye. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. 
And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Here's how the National Association of City Transportation Officials define what our next segment is all about. Parklets are public seating platforms that convert curbside parking spaces into vibrant community spaces. That's it. And the concept was even talked about in a 2018 TEDx talk from Reno, Nevada. It was from a small business owner named Nellie Davis. Parklets are just a two-parking space change that a community can make to revitalize the entire streetscape and take ownership of an area. Not only have they proven to increase foot traffic and encourage social interaction, but they put life back into concrete. And it's the absence of this type of vibrancy that allows blight to set in. Hmm. Life back in the concrete. Joining me now from the city of Atlanta is Tim Keene, Commissioner of Planning and Community Development, and Vanessa Lira, Assistant Director in the Office of Design. Welcome to the program, both of you. I really appreciate it. Good afternoon, Rose. Hello. How are you? Hello, this Commissioner Keene. How are you, sir? Good, thank you. And Vanessa, are you with hey, us Rose. as well? All right. I am here. Okay. Listen, I gave a brief definition of parklets. Uh, Commissioner Keene, I'll start with you. Can you give a more detailed design description of a parklet? Well, the introduction you provided was excellent. Um, That's simple, huh? It's what we were, we're doing here in Atlanta. The one thing I'd say, though, Rose, is that, and it's important to focus on the the very specific changes that happen on the street when, mm-hmm. you, when you create a space like this. But I want to make one broader comment, which is the work that we're doing with small business owners in Atlanta to use parking spaces for seating and for people to sit and whether they're eating or not um, is really just, it's part of what we must do in Atlanta. You know, like our big challenge as a city is to make walking and and riding bikes and use of transit Mm -hmm. more pleasant for people in the city because we've designed a city so far almost entirely based on driving. And we have to shift completely to a city that is, designed for walking and and cycling and getting to transit. And this is, it's details like this that really matter. This is the difference between success and failure when it comes to this, making places like this in the city. All right. Well, let me bring in Vanessa Lear, Assistant Director in the Office of Design, because I'm curious, when we talk about these parklets, can the designs vary? I've seen some drawings where they're real nice. They have nice uh, tables and benches. And that might even be covered, and there's some, you know, plants along the way. So the design can vary. Is that, am I am I explaining that correctly? Yeah, that's correct. The design can certainly vary, and the price point can certainly vary as well. And so um, you've seen probably in places like San Francisco where they've spent um, a lot of time creating very unique ones um, that are specific to that location, that have different seating types. And so uh, our focus here was to get as many on the ground as we could as fast as possible because of the pandemic. And so the approach was slightly different, but they're certainly in a more permanent condition. You can get as creative as you'd like. Well, let me ask you all this, and either one of you can tackle this first. Is there a specific type of street infrastructure-wise that these parklets may work best if where they're located? I mean, what's an idea street? I'm imagining, are we talking about a, a one-way street? And also, you all know, parking in the city of Atlanta. And so when folks hear you, what, you're going to take parking spaces? So for our listeners who, you know, are maybe giving y'all a little side eye right now because of that, 
what is the ideal street infrastructure wise for a parklet? You want to speak to that, Vanessa? Sure. Yeah. Obviously, the first thing that needs to happen is there needs to be an existing parking space there in order for it to be converted. So that's our first layer of eligibility. Um, but really, we found that they work best when it's in a location that has a little bit of foot traffic already, mm-hmm. whether it's because there's a restaurant there or there, it, it could be um, all sorts of different reasons why someone would want to stop at that particular location. So there being a reason for someone to want to rest at that spot is really helpful for it to be um, vibrant and successful. And we've also found that if you pair it with a community organization or with a business that's adjacent to it, that's going to be taking care of it, that also really um, um, helps. And as far as the infrastructure, really, it's just making sure that the parking space is there and that it's in an area um, where people are going to be walking by it. Are they mobile? Can they be moved with ease? There certainly are ones that can be moved with ease. The ones that we have right now, which are our are, are temporary version, they can be moved easily. Um, the barriers are water filled. So once you drain the water, they're really light. Once you fill up with water, it can't be moved as easily. Um, and so that's certainly something if it doesn't work in a particular location, we can always try it out in a different place. And that we have done that in the past. And where are some of these parklets located right now within the city of Atlanta? We have them in a lot of different neighborhoods, Home Park, Sweet Auburn, Kirkwood, Cascade Heights, Summerhill, Midtown, Virginia Highland, downtown Cabbage Town, really all over. Um, there's one in Grant Park. We have them in several different locations. Commissioner King, you mentioned that these parklets should be viewed to be beneficial in terms of transit and mobility mobility enhancements. But here's a question, too, in terms of the, the, the cost for this. Would the city pay for these parklets or if a business wanted one or a business district wanted some parklets, who picks up the tab for this? And how much are we talking about per parklet? Well, this particular program is one that this, that we are paying for. We we generate revenue through an agreement with MARTA that we uh, that we generate through advertisements that are on the bus shelters in the city. So we have a way of funding this particular program that is from a very specific piece of revenue that we generate in partnership with MARTA. And the total that we've invested so far in this, in all of these locations, the total amount is $100,000. We're going to invest more, though. The the locations that we have out there now are, as Vanessa said, wanted to get them out there quickly, so they're fairly simple. But we will invest more in these so that they become uh, more intricate and and thoughtfully designed so there'll be more investment in them but the partnership with marta and the revenue that we're investing in this is, is we think very appropriate because as i said when you if you're going to expect a vibrant street which is needed in order for more people to walk and ride their bike and use transit for transportation then this is what helps with that. You know, it is is these kinds of investments that make a street a place people want to be. And so it seems like a small, a very small amount to invest in this big issue we have around transportation in Atlanta. Given with folks wanting obviously more bike lanes, obviously we have folks on scooters, uh, we have the bus, obviously MARTA operating, 
And Commissioner King, you and I have had this conversation before about Atlanta streets and the infrastructure. How do you respond? And either you or, or Director Lyra can answer this. How do you respond to someone who says, how can you ensure that there won't be, one, some overcrowdedness or just plain clutter? And will you also have bike racks available? Because if you want to increase more foot traffic or folks riding their bikes and they want to stop at a parklet, Will there be a bike rack or, or something similar? Would each parklet be designed to maybe house uh, one or two bikes as well? And then also, what about for folks with um, with with disabilities here? Yeah, I can touch on on those things. And so, uh, speaking to the bikes, that's definitely feedback that we've gotten from both from the survey that we have out as well as from business owners. And so, that's something that we are looking into um, for the future. When it comes to accessibility, the temporary version, we have a ramp that gets you down to um, to road level. But one of the upgrades that we're gonna be bringing in this summer is a deck that's going to make the parklet flush with the sidewalk. So there will mm -hmm. not be an accessibility issue. It will be at the same level. Um, that was something that just takes a little bit longer because they are made to order. And so that wasn't something that we were able to provide within a couple of months, but that's that's what we're working on for an upgrade for the summer. And then your third question about the maintenance, that's something that you've we've learned. It really is important to partner with a mm -hmm. business or an organization that's going to be there day to day maintaining and making sure that it's being well utilized. And that's been very successful when we have done it that way. So in a sense, this is a trial run for Parklets. And how would you all evaluate the success, the effectiveness of it? Will you wait to hear feedback from the community, from business owners? How will you assess this? Well, we have both a survey out, like I mentioned, that um, is out on the parklet. So if you're using the parklet, you can answer the survey. We've also been speaking with business owners. And this is the second round of parklets that we're doing. We did do an, a different parklet a few years ago. So we have already learned significantly from that. Um, and we are, you know, thinking through what type of upgrades we might want to do based on that, that feedback that we've received. Um, and I think it's also a trial run in terms of not just the success of the park in terms of how people want them, but just also in terms of if this is good for our streets, which we really believe that it is. And so we're working with HLDOT, which is a transportation department, very closely on that. Um, with our team that works with the the local businesses as well. So there's a team of people that's really making sure that these are going to be successful and, and hopefully be able to uh, be on the ground beyond the pandemic. That's a feedback, feedback that we've heard over and over again is that people want these to be more permanent. They want them to be long lasting beyond just this uh, emergency situation that we have currently. And the great thing about Atlanta is that we don't necessarily go through all four seasons. But as we wrap up with these parklets, be able to withstand, uh, you know, Georgia can have some Atlanta can have some great weather and we can have some not so nice weather. Yes, they will be able to definitely um, withstand the, the weather. We've had similar situations, um, both with the parklet that we've done in Grant Park, that was before this round, as well as with the boardwalk that we have uh, downtown that are on the ground year round. Um, there are certain cities that do have to remove them during winter, but mm -hmm. we don't believe that that will be the case with our weather conditions. And I have an email from a listener who wants to know, will these parklets, they won't disturb the bus 
booths and in, in the in the bus stops where folks can sit down, will it? No, that is one of the eligibility requirements. It has to be a hundred feet away from from a bus stop. So we'll certainly not preclude that. Tim, Commissioner Tim Keene, I'll give you the last word. You are always talking about how to improve Atlanta's transit and mobility enhancement. As we wrap up and say goodbye, you see Parkless being very instrumental in that. I think it's an important element of, of, of many elements that, that we have to employ in Atlanta. To your earlier point, Rose, about the city becoming more congested, we all live in a very fast-growing region, and we have a fast-growing city. And we all need to get into the mindset of congestion is going to need to be part of our lives and how do we enhance the street life of the city as we grow and become more congested and this is part of that. All right, Tim Keene, Commissioner of Planning and Community Development and Vanessa Lira, Assistant Director in the Office of Design. Thank you both for taking time. I really appreciate it. Good information about Parklets. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Today we begin conversations regarding what to do with the old Atlanta prison farm. At one point, it was the city's largest vacant property. Now, this property is bordered by Boulder Crest Road and Constitution Road on the southeast side of town. It's located in DeKalb County, but the city of Atlanta actually owns the rights to the land. And it's been a center of controversy for some years now. Earlier this year, the Atlanta Police Foundation released drawings for what could be a new public safety training academy. Opponents have taken to calling the academy or the proposed academy Cop City. Some community groups say there's a better use of this property, including for social services. There was talk of a film and television production studio taking place there. And others say keep sustainability and the environment in mind. Well, joining me now is ecologist Nisa Savatica. She's with the organization Defend Atlanta Forest and their concern for what happens not only for the old Atlanta prison farm, but just other environmental issues here in Atlanta and especially the city's tree canopy. Nisa, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Yes. Can, can you hear me? Yes, we got you. Um, for our oh, listeners, so sorry. That's okay. For our listeners not familiar with Defend Atlanta Forest, how long have y'all been around? Uh, Defend the Atlanta Forest has only been around for uh, maybe about a month and a half to two months. So y'all are new. Um, it, yes. Yeah. So it is. So Defend the Forest is not an organization. It's a decentralized coalition, mm-hmm. more so, of people, individuals, organizations, um, even professionals who are concerned about the development in what is the largest remaining section of the Atlanta forest. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that the city had planned to turn into a conservation corridor um, named the South River Forest Conservation Corridor. And uh, we're quite concerned Mm -hmm. that the city appears to be going back on this. Let me ask you this uh, briefly. How would you assess Atlanta's tree canopy, tree canopy, Atlanta's forest here? Is it in trouble? Uh, yes. So Atlanta is the most forested city in the country, which we are 
extremely lucky um, to be in that position. It makes us much more suited to whether some of the impacts of climate change. Uh, although it is also the city that is losing its canopy. It's being mm -hmm. deforested faster than any other city in the United States. And as a matter of fact, the southeastern forests in general are mm -hmm. being deforested faster than even the Amazon rainforest. And so this is quite concerning. And Anissa, someone listening may say, well, where do you all get that data from? How can I fact check that? Uh, so this data, I mean, I'm sorry, it's, you can find it online. I believe the supporter report has done a couple of articles on Atlanta's tree canopy um, that may be okay. where I read that that fact most recently. Okay. Um, however, the, yeah. Mm -hmm. So in terms of concerns about the old Atlanta prison farm, I know obviously with, with folks like you, from an environmental concern, uh, for our listeners, what is concerning most for you? I, and you correct me if I'm wrong. If it were this part of the the Atlanta old Atlanta prison farm were to be developed in terms for that movie studio, I think it was Black Hall, Black Hall Studios. Is it true that at, in more than 40 acres of trees will be bulldozed? Uh, yes, I believe that is correct. Um, they the so the Entrenchment Creek Park. Um, there's 40 acres of it that currently exist as park. Uh, that Black Hall Studios uh, was making an arrangement uh, with the city to swap the land that they own, which mm -hmm. is about 24 acres of land that they already clear cut and also piled uh, a lot of dirt and fill in order to raise it up to street level. Mm -hmm. And uh, so now that is just uh, vacant, um, exposed earth. Uh, they wanted to name that Michelle Obama Park. And then there's another about 30 acres, uh, which is wetland, which Black Hall can't develop on mm -hmm. anyway. And so they wanted to swap these two, you know, degraded and or unbuildable sites for what currently exists as uh, part of our Entrenchment Creek Park, which is uh, almost fully forested, mm. almost. Nisa, let me ask you this. What types of development, if so, would, your, would you all support? Uh, well, urban infill. Uh, so there are many places in Atlanta where there are just big vacant parking lots, mm -hmm. um, which the, the forest has already been cleared there. We cannot afford to be losing any more of our canopy. The city itself has made a commitment to uh, have a stated goal of getting to 50% canopy cover. Mm -hmm. And this is not how we go about reaching that goal. We cannot just cut down forests and then plant little trees and you know call that equivalent. Uh, so we were a big fan of the South River Forest mm -hmm. and that conservation corridor. Um, this is also in the South River watershed. Mm -hmm. And the South River has recently been named the most endangered river in Georgia and one of the most endangered rivers in the country. And so any impacts uh, to the watershed like this will just further degrade that river, which the city has already come under fire for and is under... Uh, a covenant to it's supposed to be improving the water quality there 
and uh, is failing in those regards. Let me ask you this. Have you all had any success in speaking with either the mayor or city council members to talk about this, to talk about a possible compromise, or just to even really reiterate what you've just been saying on this program? What has that been like? Uh, So, I mean, this coalition was launched in response to the mayor making a statement that came as a big surprise to many people. Um, You know, formerly it was supported as Conservation Corridor. And so uh, the mayor, we don't really understand why uh, the position has changed. Um, There have been other council members that we have reached out to um, recently, I believe, uh, Joyce Shepard introduced a an ordinance to lease the 330 acres mm-hmm. for ten dollars per year, and uh, but that would be to the police foundation. To the police foundation, okay. Yes, so that and they would be able to start clearing the land and and uh, and obviously you all obviously you all are not in favor of that. No, we are not. You know, uh, we have many concerns, uh, especially, you know, in regards to policing and the the style of policing that we see this as encouraging. Uh, this training facility would include a mock city, mm-hmm. uh, which is quite similar to the mock cities that they use to train the military in order to uh, desensitize soldiers in a civilian combat uh, scenarios. And so we really question at a time where there's, you know, this big uprising with the Black Lives Matter movement and all these funds to, all these calls to defund the police and fund, you know, social services, we really see this as a concerning commitment to this militarized style of policing that the city has uh, been under a lot of criticism for. So, so- not only just environmental concerns, but you also have some concerns with, in terms of everything that's taking place in our nation as it relates to uh, policing and particularly in communities of color. Uh, what's next for you all, um, Nisa? Uh, well, currently there is an action and networking week going on in which we are holding, uh, well, it's not, we provided a community calendar and have called on uh, people to submit their own events and bring their own voices to this because there are so many different sides to take to about why this this is the wrong mm-hmm. path forward. Ecologist Nisa Savatica, she's with the organization Defend Atlanta Forest and they're concerned for what happens next with the old Atlanta prison farm, among other environmental concerns. Nisa, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And a programming note, this begins Closer Look's coverage of what to do with the old Atlanta prison farm. We are inviting other organizations and entities to appear on the program as well to keep you, our listeners, informed. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on all the conversations you heard today. 
about parklets. Now, y'all always have a lot to say about scooters, so I'd like to hear what you have to say about parklets. Also, what to do with the old Atlanta prison farm. What are your thoughts? Let me know. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And as always, you can hit me up on Twitter, as you all love to do, at wabe rose scott. And if you missed any of today's program, it's always online at wabe.org slash closer look. And of course, closer look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast, because everybody has a podcast, right? Subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.